Hello again, friends. You are listening to Mile 10 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis with you again with my partner in crime, Benji. Hey, hey. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Wonderful. We have an exciting episode tonight. Coach Robert Gary from Furman University and also two-time Olympian joined us earlier this week for an interview as part of our cross-country season preview. Before we bring in Coach Gary, we have some other notes here from the past couple weeks. First, the seconds flat singlet. Yeah. We have another winner. We are giving out a singlet to Ahmad Nesbitt of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And winner is something this guy is known for. Yes, so Ahmad was very humble in his email. He didn't mention his running career, but we know. We dug. He is the school record holder at North Greenville University at both 5K, 10K, and cross-country 8K. I love how you said both for three things. Uh, That's what I do. It's that education I got at North Greenville. (laughs) Uh, He was also the 2014 NCAA South Region cross-country champion. We got a great email from Ahmad in the Sparkle City thanking us for the podcast, and he sent us his dream matchup. And he said, in their primes, Nick Simmons versus Leo Manzano over 1K. So you got one of the great 800 runners versus one of the great 1,500-meter runners of the same generation here in the United States at their peak and we like this one so much, we figured we're sending a singlet to our guy, Ahmad. We're going to weigh in. Yes. If we saw this race, what do you think happens, Benji? Well, I admittedly, when I first heard this matchup, was like, eh, I wasn't that excited about it. Because just in recent years, those guys have... Yeah. Nick Simmons has retired. Uh, Leo has been struggling a little bit. But when you look at their primes, these guys... 2012, let's gosh, say, yes. right? Yeah, that was the year Nick Simmons PRs in the 800 at the Olympics. Leo snatches a silver medal in the 1500. Right. But for our debate's sake, over 1,000 meters, mm-hmm. I'm going with Leo because he does have a ton of speed. He's ran 144.5, 800 meter, which is a, only a two-second difference uh, than Nick. But he's ran 330 in the 1500. So his strength was just out of this world. So I'm going with Leo. Okay. As we have discussed, one of my rules to live by in these hypothetical dream matches is if you're not sure who to take and it feels like a toss-up, you go to the lower distance guy with the speed and assume that he can hang on a little longer. So I'm going to stick with Nick Simmons here. We're going to agree to disagree. But the real beauty of this matchup, why we like what Ahmad sent us, is not necessarily who would win or lose, but what the race might look like, right? The style of the race, because what are both of these guys known for? Insane finishes. They are sit-and-kick runners. Nick Simmons is a get-to-the-back-of-the-pack and then get going. Even at London 2012, when he surged to fifth, he sat all the way at the back in the final until a little over 100 meters to go. He was even a step off the pack for a long time. And he still had something for a move and ran a really great time that day. He always finds a way to time it. So it would be very fun, we think, to see Leo 
v nick and a head-to-head 1k 1k is a fun distance too because we could go back through history and come up with some great 800 guys versus miler guys you know we talked about this previously with el garouge and radisha as our dream match but a K is a record that doesn't get chased as much historically, but there's so much talent that could meet in the middle and make for some really fun races there. Definitely. Now, we promised you last week that we would touch on what has happened in Europe recently, and the teen sensations, the precocious pups, have been on their game in Europe at the European Championships. First, Jacob Ingebrigtsen. Oh, Jacob. Jacob. What a showing from this guy. Ben, tell the people what happened. All right. So day one, Jacob and his two brothers qualified for the 1,500-meter final. We saw Jacob take the lead with 700 meters to go. He was actually running one, two, three with his brothers. And uh, ultimately, he just outran everybody the last 400. Pulled away with a, was it a 53-point last 400? And ran 3.38, celebrating a little bit early. He let off the gas and almost got nabbed. Yeah, he was kind of looking over his shoulder to see who was on his heels. He maybe was holding off a little bit too, knowing he had to come back the next day. But So day one, we have 17-year-old, 1,500-meter champ at the Euros, right? (laughs) And so fast forward. The next day, he's back on the track for the 5K. And you see the happiest young man you've ever seen run that fast. Jacob and Henrik were back for the 5,000, um, working together throughout the race, starting in the back and slowly moving up. Jacob, again, just dropped the hammer the last 400, went 54 point, and ran a new personal best of 13.17. So he swept the double, 1,505 K, incredible performance. But he may not have even been the best teenager at the Euros. Which is just insane right? to think about. Craziness. The Raging Cajun. Mondo Duplantis. High school phenom here in the United States who competes in the European Championship because his mom is from Sweden. And so representing that country, he went for a European Championship record 6.05 meters in the pole vault. And I love when you guess how many feet the meters no. translate to. Could we do that again? 6.05 meters. How many feet did Mondo jump? Oh, no. I'm going to guess somewhere 19 feet. Uh, uh, not bad. 19 feet, 10 and a quarter inches. I round down, you know. I don't yes. want to show off or anything. European Championships record. U20 world record and the fourth best vault of all time. Family in the crowd going nuts. The whole place is just lighting up for Mondo. Incredible performances from the youngsters in Europe. And another competition this past week back across the pond here in the United States, our friend Christo Landry back on the scene after an extensive time off from injury. Christo had a top 15 performance at one of the legendary road races on the American circuit, the Falmouth Road Race 7-Miler. But the winner, a guy who has been overlooked more than once this summer. Where's my mom? That's right. Where's my mom is the direct quote after his 10K NCAA championship. 
the running rascal from Canada. Benji Flanagan. Benji Flanagan. Ben Flanagan takes the win. First North American winner in like three decades at Falmouth. Scott Fobble uh, with Northern Arizona Elite, second place in a, in a close finish. They both edge out last year's victor, Stephen Sambu. And the last four years. That is exactly right. Multiple year reigning champion. And so it's Benji Flanagan as the winner of the Falmouth Road Race. My favorite part about Ben winning is immediately after when he was interviewed, he's like, I just paid off this semester of school because he's in grad school right now. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool. He's been a really fun story all summer. So congrats to, to Benji and his win on Cape Cod. Now let's bring in Furman coach Robert Gary to hear more about his program, the amazing legacy they've built in a really short time there, and his outlook for the future. It's August, and cross-country season is right around the corner, so we are excited to have Robert Gary, head coach at Furman University and two-time Olympian, joining us today. Coach Gary, welcome in. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Before we get into your program, it's late August. It's almost time to get the meet started. Describe a little bit of that excitement and anticipation and the feeling that every athlete and coach has this time of year. Well, I think we're really excited, about, uh, you know, for our staff, you know, as far as uh, all the kids will arrive tomorrow. And we got basically a week together um, to take care of all the paperwork of stuff, make sure people's classes are set, um, get a good idea of uh, who trained and maybe who didn't. <laughs> um, hopefully uh, no one on the team is too nervous that they only got a portion of uh, what we uh, what we prescribed over the summer training-wise done. But um, I think everyone's really, really excited. Um, last year was a terrific year, and um, we've done a good job of every year of uh, kind of ramping it up, ramping it up. And, um, you know, this year will be, will be no different. Um, we return a lot of people. Uh, we lost some people on the men's side, but I think uh, we've. I think it's a good testimony of the program that we feel like we haven't really lost a beat at all. So the women uh, rankings haven't come out yet, but the men are ranked uh, 25th in the country. I think we'll end up being a little bit better than that at the end, but uh, maybe we'll reverse what happened last year where we were ranked pretty high all year, and then we just couldn't quite put it together on the last day. So super excited, um, just in the process of cleaning stuff up and getting getting ready for the kids to arrive. Great. So before we unpack a little bit more about the season there, to take a step back, sixth season here, five straight Southern Conference championships on both sides. You had a men's and women's program that both reached top 10 rankings last year in the fall. When you stepped foot on campus and saw what Furman has to offer, what was the vision? What did you think you could do? And why did this place feel like the spot for you after a successful run in the Big Ten? Well, I think the um, vision came from a from a whole host of people. You know, the um, president at the time, the athletic director at the time. Truth be told, I was a little bit more on the search committee uh, in the very beginning of this process, um, and it wasn't until I came down and kind of saw it. Um, I'd only coached at one place uh, before, so you know, I didn't have tons of things to compare it to, and kind of stayed in my bubble in the Big Ten. So for me, uh, it was a lot more. Well, you could do this, um, you could do that, and it was really just coming up with a bunch of different things that I thought would be wildly unique. I think a lot of times when you're trying to think about recruiting you try to think how's your place unique uh, we have a saying same thing different colors um, you know when we're kind of up against recruiting you know kind of the usual power five schools or even some of the standard you know cross-country powerhouses and how could Furman you know jump in there and do that I think the mission was pretty clear that they really want to build a special program at a place uh, obviously with you know great weather some good facilities good running um, backgrounds also kind of maintaining the integrity of you know the academic program 
profile of, of what they want to do. And, and I think distance runners are notoriously pretty pretty nerdy um, and make pretty good grades. So, um, you know, there are lots of natural fits, um, but I thought it was more probably the, the people um, that, would, you know, we'd have a number of coaches. We'd have a president who was really excited about things. The athletic director that, at the time, Gary Clark, was really excited. And there was a lot of, a lot of people horsepower for such a small school um, without a huge student body. We had a lot of really key people that were really excited about what we were doing and what we could do. And, and that just really kind of feeds in and really helps kind of get the first couple recruiting classes, which is which was really our, our, our biggest concern probably in the very beginning. Who would be the first people? Some schools kind of recruit, you know, um, more easily than others. They just have a history to fall back on um, or they're so big that you capture, you know, inside this net of people, you know, great runners, great students. Um, had to be a little bit more purposeful, but it was also kind of the opposite sell, if you will, of, of what I'd done for the last 16 years. So I was just really excited about trying to do something different, you know, mm, and, and, yeah. and new. Um, and there's always a, a feeling of going up against the big schools and seeing what we could do. But um, it was also nice, you know, asking and receiving for a lot of the resources that the big schools have. We just do it in a small school setting environment um, where, you know, there still is a premium placed on going to class. Um, there's still a um, huge premium, you know, placed on, you know, individualized attention, you know, and developing. I think a lot of really great runners get lost. I think people who have made great grades all throughout high school get lost. Um, and Furman just really is a place where you just simply can't get lost. And I thought that was a pretty cool, cool message and something uh, really neat to be able to sell to not only, you know, people that I was hoping to work for as far as the staffing goes, um, but also excite the administration um, and obviously as, as well as our student athletes that we're recruiting. And then once they get here, how we are going to develop. So, yeah, it seemed like that message has resonated with plenty of great athletes. And can you look back early on in, in the first, maybe it's the first recruiting class, some of those those early athletes you got, can you think of some of those people who came onto campus and really helped change the trajectory? Because you got successful so quickly here, and, and I don't know if you could have imagined that yeah. right away, but well, what were the turning points there? I think as, as an Ohio State grad, I never liked to use the Fab Five, uh, term, <laughs> you know, being from Michigan and everything, but um, we really did try to package bundling. We really tried to get into five or six. I mean, I think we did probably 10 in-home visits on the men's side in five days. You know, Coach Neil and I just jumped in a car um, and kind of hit the Midwest just because that's kind of the area that we knew sure. uh, better. Um, and we also hit Tennessee on the way up um, and uh, a couple other kids um, kind of around. But I think we did 10 or 12 visits and, um, you know, a young man committed while we were um, 10 minutes after we left his house, never <laughs> having seen it. Um, in fact, he asked uh, if Furman was in North Carolina or South Carolina, <laughs> which usually means we're probably not getting this kid. But when we got done with them, and I think a lot of the energy that we had and everything else um, we had a list of people like hey we're gonna you know we're gonna go see this person they knew each other they were calling we really bundled some of those states and you know that was kind of the biggest hurdle of you know just saying yes to sight unseen you know we were we were and we were talking really big the same way that we talk right now ultimately we want to win a national championship in cross country and um, get a trophy you know as top four those are two things that we're pr pretty much always talking about and now with both programs having made it that is certainly our next kind of destination or focus that we have as a program but that kind of talk was really infectious and then you start having kids delusional as it may have been at that moment um, thinking yeah we're going to be able to do this um, but a lot of the experiences we had just last year we could trace them back two three four years you know and even five years just because we had a lot of fifth year seniors on the men's side as well as Allie you know certainly led the women but those are the conversations that we 
had with them, and we wanted to make sure five years later um, that we delivered. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, it was tough, I guess, but I think we got a lot better, a lot faster than any of us imagined, and it was really because we had a lot of special kids that were willing to make the first leap, I guess. Um, and then from there, we felt a real obligation to make sure that they developed, that they enjoyed their time. Um, there were roadblocks, but there were roadblocks of, um, you know, it was hard to get the men's team to not go out like they were going to win every race. We went mm. down and competed against Oklahoma State, who's the defending champions, yeah. and we're standing at the 2K mark. It's still one of my favorite memories of uh, being at Furman, and I think it really shows the spirit or temperament, of, I think, of our program And that they came around the corner at 2,000 meters, you know, came out of the woods, and we're literally one through nine on an entire group of people that had all been All-Americans. <laughs> I mean, we had two walk-ons on this trip with us, and they were leading the, you know, defending champions. And we died like dogs. We got killed. We were picking up scraps afterwards. Everyone wanted to know why we didn't win parents couldn't understand that we didn't win every meet that first year but um you knew that you had captured this group of people that were really really committed to you know trying to be the best in the country um and i think that sometimes gets lost from high school to college you know a footlocker finalist more thinks they've arrived as opposed to saying all right i gotta hit reset and try to be the best college kid now you know i was tops in high school and i want to be tops in college and and that kind of i guess you could call it delusional thinking but i think it's more um you know we always say we like to have not super morons, but morons, and a bunch of morons running around, you know, that are really committed to what they're doing, is pretty, uh, pretty great recipe, I think, to have in any kind of sporting endeavor. I, I like the way you presented that the the high school athlete who has been elite his or her entire career, multi-time state champion, uh, setting school and league and state records, now steps onto a college campus with a lot of other young men and young women who have had that kind of success. What do you think is a key ingredient that you and your staff bring to help mold them through that transition and build a winner here when people are used to being at the front of the pack every single race? Well, I think a lot of programs have those kind of concerns, but it might be at a smaller number. I mean, I you know, particularly because we just focus on the distance area. So at any given time, you know, there's a dozen people, dozen men on our team that have run around nine minutes for two miles in high school, 412, 410 in the mile, something like that. So you do have a lot of people that were state champions all trying to show up. And I think the first year or two, we probably did a pretty bad job of turning them loose too much and, you know, just not wanting to squelch that spirit or whatever. But when those guys became juniors and seniors, having realized how they just kind of beat up on each other in practice, and sometimes we weren't able to have as good a race, you know, early on, um, now freshmen that come in uh, have a much steadier, better transition. I think we do a better job of reining them in. I think we make sure that, you know, our upperclassmen realize that, you know, it's good, like incoming freshmen are kind of counseled and coached by the upperclassmen saying, mm-hmm. hey, I know you can't quite do this right now. It doesn't mean you're not going to be in our top five. It doesn't mean you're not going to beat, you know, me when we're running. But, um, you know, from a workload, you're just, you're behind. You know, you can't handle all this and show up. So, I mean, there's a great deal more ownership, I think, in the team. Whereas in the beginning, we really were kind of, we had such a small team and we only had six or seven kids that waited here for us when we first arrived here on campus. So when we're recruiting, so we didn't have a lot of people that could really, you know, know guide and mold and you know kind of um kind of serve as mentors for people in the group so um it's gotten better you know the whole culture of the program i think the belief in some of the training and some of the workouts that we do and we tweak them along the way but the basic gist of kind of getting really strong in the beginning doing a lot of work at the cross-country course or going out to the farms women's team really you know kind of tries to stay out at the farms as long as possible there's some good trust once you've had success and people can there's just a lot easier better buy-in i think Mm. um and uh you know each kid's different when they come in and we're always tackling with that but I like having so many successful people running around, even if some of them are a little bit young and misguided in the very beginning. <laughs> but, um, but also, I love that spirit. Um, you know, 
I think people put um, themselves in too much of a box or try to figure out reasons why a program can't be good. I think even here, you know, there might be limitations like there are at every program in a variety of ways, but I just feel like we've tried to, we have a saying, we try to give everybody everything they need to be successful except an excuse. So, you know, you place a premium on certain things, other things, you just got to kind of work through that, I think, as a staff and also as an athlete, you know, to make it work. And uh, I think we've proven that, you know, we can be a top 10 program, both genders. We can send kids to the NCAA meet. Uh, we can have people go on to run professionally. Um, I think we check all the boxes that any other school, uh, you know, can check off. And now it's just a matter of kind of fine-tuning it and really trying to finish off what we said we were going to do. Some great thoughts in there. First, the limitations piece. You know, I think as runners, we often are our own worst enemies in placing limitations on ourselves. Could you get into a little bit of maybe ways you like to work with the young people you're coaching on how to maybe remove the ceiling or maybe a little bit more realistic one with, mm-hmm. with some, some goals that you're really reaching for. How do you guys work towards that? Well, I guess probably three things. One, I think the staff in general, um, you always look around and college coaches have so much time on their hands, particularly at, you know, long track meets or cross country. <laughs> so you're looking around and people start saying, oh, this program can do this, this program can do that, this school gets this, this school gets that. We really try to, we really try not to focus on that at all. There's obvious limitations. It costs a lot of money to go to school. Um, you know, it's not 100,000 people going to football games as far as, you know, your football Saturday. Um, but on the flip side, and this would be number two, um, our staff meets with every kid on our team individually at least once a week in like an office setting, which is different than just being out and, you know, kind of talking about what movie you saw or how things are going. We sit in an office, we talk about how their academics are going, how life is going, um, obviously how their training is going and what it can do. And so they never go more than seven days without a real formal kind of meeting to kind of um, talk about it. And that also spreads to, we meet as a program every every day. I mean, there's really no athletic sessions that people go on with the exception of maybe a secondary run and, and the one day off a week where they don't have a set of eyes watching them. You know, I, I know a lot of programs meet maybe only on just hard days um, and uh, uh, or you know, you do hurdle mobility afterwards and it's just kind of a throwaway event and people do it. Some people do it with a great deal of rigor. Others just go to the motion. Some just skip out altogether. We have a coach at every one and it's really done with a tremendous amount of rigor and, and I hope expertise, you know, so it really, you know, kind of helps. And we also, we look for in recruiting people that do want to take on, you know, this challenge of kind of being a couple, of, I mean, there's several small schools that are fixtures at the NCAA meet in cross country. You know, there's different ways of doing it. I think of a Portland or an Iona, you know, and I want firm to be just as synonymous you know with those things um, and so the whole program staff and kids individually and together um, we try not to get caught up in those kind of circumstances you know mm-hmm. especially stuff that you can't control you know um, I thought living on campus would be a real drawback when I first got here and I've come to realize the kids that come to firm and love it um, you know you don't have to deal with landlords you don't I mean it's just a totally different way of looking at it it's not for everybody but those that it resonates with I think it's um, you know I think it's exactly what they're looking for you know I think when we have recruits a lot of times a kid knows if they're coming as soon as they visit they'll either kind of commit and start canceling their other visits or um, they might go through the motions but we don't have many people who take a long time and it's not to say everybody commits um, you know some people get on they go ah, I just I envision going to a bigger school and we don't try to be what we're not but we do try to make sure people realize all the positives that that we are and hopefully sometimes kids make decisions for a variety of reasons we hope that we have all the right reasons covered I think here you also mentioned the uh 
culture of upperclassmen setting a tone for the, the newcomers that you have. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is often a centerpiece for successful programs and some of the things that are also bigger than just being good at running, right? right? And um, is there anything specifically that you think that that you cultivate here that helps create that environment where uh, a junior, senior, redshirt senior, as you said, you had a bunch of those last season, feel that ownership over Furman Cross Country? Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the individual touches. I think people talk about individual touches a lot in recruiting, but then it kind of, I mean, obviously lessons, you know, it's the courtship is over. And, After you've you sold know, the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're here and you go. But, and same with the same with the student athlete. You know, there are a lot of kids that feel, I earned my scholarship in high school, so whatever I can give you. Um, we try to really not look at, I mean, I never, it's, it's such a big team with so many kids, particularly on the men's side who were walk-ons, you know, when, when I was at Ohio State. And I think one of the best things you can do to someone, and we always talk about, you know, challenge being a privilege. Um, you know, we try not to, we know not everyone in the program is going to be a sub four minute miler or an All-American, but we do put you know, if an 800 runner, hey, the goal is to break two minutes in the 800, this is what your goal is. And for some kids, we've had a kid in our program, um, I don't want to mention his name, as he might be embarrassed, I don't know why he would be, but, um, you know, his goal for four years was to break two, and it took him all the way until his very last race. And I have to tell you that it was probably a top five ovation, a time when our entire team and program was out there watching him do it. I called him out in the middle of a dinner the night before in front of all of our alumni to finally, you know, get it done, and he did. And I think all always having some real effectual goal setting. You had talked about how to handle people when they come in um, and try to, you know, you want to set goals that are attainable but also exciting. And I think we're constant. those are constantly evolving for us. And we also bring back around to it and we try not to rush kids to it. I think mm-hmm. if our first year or two, we probably were, hey, we're going to take these kids and we got, we've, none of us have ever coached five footlocker kids at one time but they're also moving up from 5k to 10k um several of them um might have made it as a junior you know there's a story a little bit and, and i don't think it's a natural progression to go from footlocker finalist to all-american the next year it's, it's really apples and oranges to some extent particularly on the men's side so for us it's just getting some momentum having some effectual goal setting not letting kids you know come up with low-hanging fruit just for the sake of momentum uh but um not also you know maybe 408 maybe there is a there is a point between that and going sub four you know can you run 404 can you work on making sure you close most races under 56 if it's slow enough you know there's some real checkpoints i think to kind of cut down so that we can make sure that we don't skip a step and um, us not skipping steps um, and just being pleasantly surprised when a kid takes advantage of an opportunity and great fitness and great courage and skips a step on their own they got to be the one to really kind of do that um, and i think uh we're always fanning the flame i think of hey, we want to win a trophy and we want to go. I don't think there's a lot of programs that have those conversations with any degree of reality um, or truth to them. Um, we certainly don't want be my nightmare of nightmares is to not have something exciting and high enough for them, you know, to reach. But at the same time, we got to really understand, like, how hard it is. You know, we had talked about how hard it is to make the NCAA meet. I mean, um, sometimes it's weird to hear how easy it is to make it in some sports well our you know cross country is not like that track is not like that you know and you know it is special you know as part of the reason our men's team i know they were disappointed last year with the fact that we were ranked in the top 10 all year and just because of 30 minutes in louisville on one day shouldn't erase what some of these kids built in five years what we built for an entire year what the staff was really focused on putting it together um it was a really uh, you know different thing and i also feel all a Furman team has to do is make it once and we'll make it every year. 
Mm-hmm. So that culture started to establish. You know, the women, they made it for the first time, you know, last year. And, uh, you know, they were two, probably three years behind the men's program, you know, making it. But now I expect both programs to make it every year. And most importantly, so do they. If yeah. we don't have the pieces there, then we got to make the pieces, you know. So it's the same kind of thing. If you don't have the circumstances you want, then you got to create them yourself, uh, you know, while you're here. So, you know, I think that's a great message to send to anyone and for any endeavor. Yeah, there is this big picture dream or vision there and that that thing that's waiting out at the end at at Louisville last year or in Madison this year, wherever it might be. But you mentioned there are really important steps in a process along the way that can be just as rewarding and and help create a program. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and look at this season then. Okay. Uh, you mentioned uh, rankings out for the men already. See your name in the top 25 once mm-hmm. again, and we'll see where the women are. Yep. There's a lot of great pieces to replace. You had a, a good number of redshirt seniors last year from a very successful season. Who do we see stepping up? What's the outlook in general? Kind of have, um, I think, both programs. I mean, obviously, losing Allie, one of the most special athletes uh, we'll ever coach in all the different facets, you know, um, is certainly a hit, um, both scoring and leadership. It's always nice when you know you have a low stick up there and can really run. But now maybe the women's program um, comes a little bit like last year's men's program. We're not exactly sure who the number one runner is. I would imagine Savannah Carnahan probably has a has a lead on that. But it's a nice associative property, I think, when you have things like that. Because I know wherever Savannah goes, Gabby Jennings wants to go and Chrissy Gear wants to go and Emma Grace wants to go and it's a little bit of interchange associative property where they all believe that they can run with each other and want to run with each other and all of a sudden you look up and you got a pack and if one of them runs outstanding then they all do and that was really the recipe that we had last year we had a different number one man for a lot of the meets Aaron Templeton kind of you know rose to the top at the very end as far as conference regionals and H2As goes but you know on the men's side it's the same thing I think Aaron has established himself well enough to be a front runner certainly our uh, I think he will be our number one man if not in the beginning, then certainly by the end of the year. But then we have that same kind of associative property kind of playing off each other. I think we have five other guys that have been all regional before, um, some of which weren't part of our team last year. You know, they had skipped a year, um, done whatever, but we don't have throwaway years anymore at Furman. We made the real mistake uh, two years ago when we redshirted Alley and we redshirted, you know, three of our fifth three of our people to be fifth-year seniors on the men's side. We didn't think we'd have a team close to it, and we really did a really poor job by the staff, and we ended up missing on the men's side by one point and the women's point by women's side by five points. I think it added up total to a second and a half, and we promised we would never shortchange kids like that again. I mean, they really took it as a badge of honor. I mean, I, they did a great job of not saying, hey, just because we don't have Allie, obviously, you know, with her, we'd be, we would have made it, but without her, hey, we can still do it. And, you know, unfortunately, we just had a group of we had a complete group of freshmen but there's a special group of ladies that have done it all the way up to the NCAA level um, you know come track season Chrissy Gear just got back from under 20 championships so she's earned a Team USA vest which in our sport is always the highest mm-hmm. you know accolade I think you can achieve and on the men's side got seven eight guys that have qualified for regionals they've been all regional and cross country um and i don't think they have any plans to um you know be anything other than top 15 both programs you know making it and then going we did think once we'd make it we'd be a fixture there 
um, both because of the culture and also because we really focus on the distance area. Um, but uh, I think that's a, I think that's always kind of a goal of, of where we're at, you know, for this year. And I'm excited to see how everybody goes. I mean, we've had surprises every year. You know, people that we thought were two or three year projects are, you know, they don't want to be two or three year projects. They want to they want to experience an inch to a meet every year they're here. And that's something we talked about um, that they'd have the opportunity to do so. They got to be good enough, but they really want to. Um, you know, last year we had Tanner Hinkle who competed in four, you know, cross country uh, championships. Uh, everyone during his time here, and that's a cool thing to be able to offer a kid. You know, recruiting. So, as a brief aside, you mentioned there what happened two seasons ago, and being so close as you were while you had some runners out who certainly would have been on on the varsity team. A, a moment like that for you as a coach, and and maybe you could even look to a moment like that you've had as an athlete. Mm-hmm where you came really close. Does it change your perspective a little bit on you never know when you're going to be in this situation again, when we're going to have opportunities like that? Yeah. Did it shift a little bit of your paradigm? I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, the absence of alternatives clears the mind marvelously. And I like it. You know, I mean, uh, there were times at Ohio State where I kept a team of only seven people. And so everybody's looking around going, well, I... I, I, I got to come through, you know, if we're, if these goals that we're talking about without, you know, it's kind of a fine line between putting pressure, but also it, it should be rather obvious in that, well, we need seven guys in the top, you know, 25 and we only have seven guys. So we're going to need you to be in the top 25. I mean, that might sound like a really basic thing, but some kids want to shirk away from that. And that's something we really try to vet through during the recruiting process. You know, um, same way the university probably doesn't want to recruit people that want to sit in foreign person lecture halls and duck and hide. That's just not really the, the mission. It's just not how Furman's built. Um, you know, it's targeted, it's specialized. There is a certain amount of accountability as well as light, you know, kind of put on you. But um, like I said, it's a fine line just with some of that effectual goal setting and, you know, making sure you're not putting a kid in a position to not be successful, but pushing things through, having sexy goals, I think is a, is always a great thing. It's a great motivator or whatever. And um, uh, people do rise to the occasion um, a lot. I think uh, sometimes people, it's a pretty simple sport. You all think it a great deal, a lot, but that's what cross country season's for. Sometimes you're just doing it because your buddies need you to do it. Um, you know, it's a weird, you can't run faster than you're capable of, but I see people doing things where, hey, you can quit on yourself, I guess, in track season, but quitting on quitting on the cross-country team is, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I think cross-country is such a great culture. I mean, truth be told, I'm probably more of a track fan than cross-country, but I think cross-country is where you can real, take a real barometer of what kind of program you have and, and the kids that they did over the summer and who did it when, you know, coach wasn't mm-hmm. sitting there holding your hand or you didn't have even friends or you also had a summer job. And, um, you know, I think what you see when you get, and, um, you know, I always like the first couple weeks of practice. You you see who's come back, who's transformed themselves, who's who cleaned up their diet over the summer, who really actually started paying attention to sleep, who did everything on the list, who stretched, um, who did their hurdle mobility, you know, with a good deal of rigor, and now you know has stronger hip flexor muscles. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's a variety of things. It's unbelievable what you can do in our sport. Just focusing on one or two things, and all of a sudden you're a different, you're a different creature of sorts. And um, you know, in our program, recruiting is important. I, you know, I, I don't mean to diminish it at all but to me if there's one thing that's even more it's development it's what you do with the kid once they get here I'd be very disappointed if each year people don't get better and certainly if your high if your PRs are still from high school then we're failing you're failing you know the, the production is not doing a very good job and that I don't know it'd be very tough to go through that sport you know like that so yeah um and my own personal running I remember standing on the starting line in 96 at the Olympic trials and I was either going to start teach across America on Thursday or I was going to be a 
I wasn't even thinking about being a professional runner, but I was just, I was set to start. This is going to be my last race. And so again, kind of that absence of alternatives clears the mind marvelously. I was like, well, I got to make the Olympic team or I'm going to go do Teach Across America and that'll be, this will be the last race I ever run. And that's some good, I, I, I like that. I like that kind of pressure. Not yeah. It's not for everybody, but I like it just because it clears your mind and just says, hey, there's a million reasons why I can't do this, but maybe I'll just stay up here as long as I can and all of a sudden you're there. And the truth is that's almost every breakthrough race of any track athlete ever. Yeah, so. and if you're prepared yeah. to do that, yeah. then then that's your moment to yeah. seize. And once uh, once I did it, I could retrace some steps saying, well, I beat, I beat, a, I beat the one guy that was kind of, they were kind of, three guys up there and I beat one of those three favorites one time you know it was a it was a flat race and it was three months before but I did beat him and (laughs) I could kind of you know start building a case and usually you do that stuff afterwards or whatever but I also got to train with the best steeplechaser in America the eventual winner the guy who won the Olympic trials race Mark Krogan and I just got to follow him around and whether I realized it at the time or not that's some is is training but also just his outlook on it you know must have been really great in fact after the semis you know he asked me do you know why you go to the olympic trials and i was like i think i might have made some smart ass comment like well it's free food and free drinks and uh, you know and i I don't have anywhere to live for 10 days um and he said no you go to the olympic trials to make the olympic team and i'll never forget that and i think without him saying that i'm not sure uh, i'm not sure i would have uh you know just being open to it even uh, much less thinking you can do it you know i think that's usually the first step so we try to keep everybody open to some pretty high level stuff for each individual I just want to double back there to reiterate a comment you made. I think for, for the casual fan who, who listens here, who, who doesn't know cross country very well, who maybe just is a runner or who knows track, the significance of each person to the team. You said you can you can quit on yourself a little bit in a track meet, but in a cross country meet, you guys could come out with four really low numbers, and if you don't have a fifth... Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can really, it's just math sometimes, you know, in a 200-person field, adding 200 points or a back-end person, you know, and, you're, and even if you go one, two, three, four, and then from there, you know, it's lowest score. Um, and not only, you know, not only five score deep, but I think the other component that comes into play is when we get to the NC2A meet, um, the regional meet and the NC2A, you know, championships, there's only seven people. So, you know three people have a bad race and your scoring you know can absolutely plummet i remember there was a year that portland won the got a um, excuse me got a trophy and their sixth and seventh runners had food poisoning didn't even finish so they're one person away from not even registering a score and instead they got trophy so it's a very very fine line you know it's nice to have a low stick last year the women's program certainly benefited from having a low stick in alley so we effectively scored four people but what was almost more impressive only because we've kind of expected it from alley is you know savannah carnahan and gabby were both up there in the top you know 60 uh getting push down and that's why we end up getting seventh I mean mm-hmm. you can get the top 15 I think with just one low stick and a bunch of average runs uh, but it was really those next pocket of people that really is the reason we you know finished top 10 and got seventh could you give us uh, a little look at the schedule here what's coming up for this fall yeah. where you guys will be competing sure um, we meet on Wednesday uh, 22nd uh, school starts on the 28th for us and then kind of per NCAA rules we have to run you know kind of we have to have at least one meet because we came in early so we're going over to the eye opener um, which just over in Spartanburg uh, it's a nice meet we have a lot of parents that come into town for it you know just to be able to watch or whatever last year the conference meet was held there so it worked right. out really nice but uh, this year it's just a their back meet we'll run you know most of the 
all the underclassmen, all the freshmen, probably sit out a couple of the seniors. And then we really gear up for a big weekend on September 14th and 15th weekend. On the 14th, we always host a dinner um, with, with all of our alums, with uh, everybody's parents coming to town. And we really just do a kind of a state of the program. What have we accomplished in the last year? And we also give out our SOCON championship rings uh, to everybody. It's a real nice evening. Everyone gets dressed up. Uh, we did a groundbreaking last year for the new facility. And this year, we're going to have a tailgate at the new facility because it's been finished inside the last year. So we're excited about that. But we'll host our home meet on our cross-country course. Beautiful course. Uh, they do a great job. I'm uh, always surprised that they let us out there. But on September 15th, we have an open race. We have a high school race. And we have collegiate races um, out at the Furman Golf Course, kind of on the back nine, a 2K loop. Um, and that's really kind of like we consider that kind of the kickoff of our season. Because then from there, we basically race every other weekend, you know, hopefully up and through the NCAA championships. Two weeks after our home meet, we go to Notre Dame, which is always one of the best meets in the country. Two weeks after that, uh, we go to the Wisconsin Invitational, which is also the pre-national meet this year. The NCAA championships will be in Madison, um, and I certainly plan to have both teams there. Uh, the regional meet is over in Rock Hill, South Carolina, so pretty close uh, and pretty nice. And the uh, conference championship, excuse me, is in uh, Western Carolina. So uh, a lot of our stuff's pretty close by this year, uh, except for the Notre Dame trip and the two Wisconsin trips, and we got to earn that last one. Plan to do so. Does the success last year in the regular season at Madison at the Nuttycomb invite yeah. give you a little bit more confidence moving forward? Um, Do you think the kids have seen a good run there and, and maybe can carry some of that over? Yeah, and I don't know if there's anything really, you know, topographically, of course, that suits us or anything else like that. I just think that people know we're getting on a plane, Wisconsin, you look up, it really is a pre I mean, it's a national preview. I mean, yeah. all the best teams in the entire country, only 31 teams are allowed to go, and I'd say the top 50 teams show up there you know, maybe with a couple that aren't there, but um, you get to see above and beyond. You get to see the teams that are going to make it, uh, all the bubble teams, everything else. So it's a good barometer for us to really say, all right, it's mid-October. We're a month away from our target race. Let's see Let's see where we're at and how we stack up nationally. They do a tremendous job. They have a um, course that's just a cross-country course. And this year, I think there's the added flavor of they're going to be hosting the NCAA championship. So we always want to go wherever, you know, the NCAA meet's going to be just to see the course, get a feel for it. But it's also some good nostalgia because I think it was absolutely served as the coming out party for our women's program or men's program a couple years ago it's the first time that we really jumped out of the national stage for real you know beyond the mile mark that i mentioned earlier on <laughs> uh you know with oklahoma state we actually finished fifth or sixth there maybe even fourth it was a real high finish did a tremendous job and that's when we said all right now the program's on the national scene and the women experienced the exact same thing last year um and that was their kind of coming out to the national scene party we've had great individual performances Allie's obviously been great we've had people make junior and senior you know cross-country teams um you know throughout the time but as as a team, as a program, and when I kind of look at that cross-country barometer of culture, uh, Wisconsin last year, um, you know, it was even to the point where the men didn't really run that well, and we were still pretty darn good, and that's how you know you got a real great program, um, you know, and so uh, Wisconsin's kind of always been our let's get to business time or whatever, and um, great memories so far. Yeah. I hope I don't jinx us. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful course in Madison, Absolutely. and um, as a PSA for, for locals here in, the, right. in the Greenville yeah. area, um, beautiful course here at the university for your home meet. Absolutely. The course at, at Millican Arboretum for yep. the eye-opener is, is a great place to watch cross-country as well, so yep. it'd yep. be awesome to have a bunch of fans out to see you guys. Let's get into a little bit on nuts and bolts there. Just if you could touch on some some training theory. You discussed how significant development is to your program and 
maybe some some ideas that guide you as a coach in the training realm? Well, I can think of two kind of before they even get to campus is one, we really take the relationship with the high school coach pretty seriously. I think sometimes uh, we had talked about what's it like to have so many good good kids show up and sometimes you're sitting around in a group setting and you ask you know how your summer went or what do you do in training and you get the very best week of their life put together by the seven greatest individual days of their life and that's training and I think you kind of walk down a road that probably isn't entirely accurate both from a volume and a speed you know kind of standpoint so getting our hands on kids training logs um, and certainly talking to the coaches about what kind of work they really gravitate to these are some pitfalls I've experienced you know etc etc you know we want to try to do it inside the frame of our basic philosophy, but um, if there's certain things that we know a kid really, anytime he works out in spikes, he's out for six days or something like that, then obviously those are things that we try to phase in maybe extra, you know, slowly or something like that. Um, you know, and so the individual attention kind of starts before they even get onto campus, you know. I don't think it really affects too much on who we're recruiting. We've had kids that have run 35 miles a week and been footlocker finalists. We've had kids that are pretty pretty well developed out of high school and run 80 miles a week in high school. So, you know, we're not too dissuaded in either regard as far as that goes. We always want to know the story, but we more just want to know how are we going to handle the transition once they've come in. If we're sitting in their living room, if we're giving them a scholarship or if we're giving them a roster spot, we know that they're at a certain level that we're excited to work with them. It's just a matter now of how can we continue that continue with that upward trend, you know, if they're, once they get here. And I think the other thing is the testing component. We have a tremendous relationship with the first laboratory here, Dr. Bill Pierce and Scott Murr. They have thrown open the doors and allowed us to do everything from biomechanical testing on people that might have had a stress fracture their senior year, you know, or even two of them in the same spot, which is always a little bit of a concern, you know, when we're laying out training programs, but also figuring out where is their threshold right now. You know, I think sometimes that is different. Two kids, one could have run, they both could have run nine flat for two miles in high school, but one of them had a great summer, one of them didn't have one. I think the tendency is to probably put them both together, and especially if a college coach needs them, especially if a college coach has 40 kids they're in charge of, and there's just one of them as the coach goes, this just gives us another set of eyes and actually some real hard data about where their threshold is right now. So we've had almost every kid tested. Those that aren't will be this upcoming Sunday. We report on Wednesday and on Sunday they're going to do some testing. So before we do our first workout on Tuesday, we'll actually know where everybody's actual threshold is and we'll actually put them into those groups as opposed to just former years or anything else. And then it's kind of nice to come back to it in the winter time and see where we're at. And then, you know, before they go home, we do it again. Um, And then you also start looking up and we have four or five years of data on these kids, you know, because we're so we do it so consistently. I think sometimes there's a research project going on at a university. They might utilize it. But for us, I mean, it's it's really consistent. Um, you know, we try to get everybody tested with a great deal of regularity. And I think it shows them. It's pretty motivating for them. You know, we've had a couple people's tests, but it's a fun testing day. We really try to, the whole team's behind there. We put on the Rocky music and everybody's there, you know, filming. And, you know, you don't want to have to step off that thing after three segments if the year before you did five segments, you know, as far as your lactate threshold goes sure. or something like that. But also on a real, real um, mechanical issue side, I know Josh Brickle was a great example of someone who redshirted his freshman year. He had two stress He's a two-time footlocker finalist. He had two stress fractures his senior year and ended up redshirting him his first year. And all we did was, I mean, he basically, you know, didn't have any glute strength and power. And we basically just set aside three months because the biomechanical testing showed us he just had, you know, his glutes weren't firing at all. And we could really just target that. And I'm very proud to say, like, from that moment on, Josh never had issues like that his entire rest of his career. And I think that's some of the unique things that Furman has to offer, um, staff expertise, 
you know, the testing expertise component, but also the care with which to move someone along a little bit slower. And I hope that the program is always deep enough that we can do stuff like that. And that probably stems to kids studying abroad for a year. Really good athletes. That's something that nobody ever asked me in my previous 16 years of coaching, but part of the firm and advantage of what we have here and also some of our depth. We consider it, again, a unique recruiting thing. I think it is nice to have fifth-year seniors, and if they're adding to their major, um, if they get to experience studying abroad and uh, still come back and do well, um, I think that's a tremendous thing that we can have to offer that I've, I've not heard many other schools that would be open to that, particularly a really good athlete or a big scholarship athlete or anything like that. But once we get her, those individual meetings, and then we're really, men's and women's program are also very combined. I think that's a really huge component of it. I know a lot of schools try to keep it really separate, but for us, I want as many high-level thinking athletes, um, goal-driven athletes around each other as possible and staff around each other as possible. I like the fact that we have four coaches, you know, all distance coaches, all sets of eyes looking at things. I don't know where that exists anywhere in the country. And, you know, again, it's just another example of, when we identify unique things, we need to maximize them, you know, um, to try to keep up with everybody and, and surpass everybody. I mean, we're trying to do something that no one else does. Only one team gets to win. Only four teams get a trophy. And we want to try to keep up with everybody else in the country. So. Who are the greatest influences on you, uh, whether that's as a coach or as a runner, or perhaps it's both? But just looking back on your career, what's shaped this whole philosophy? Uh, anybody stick out in your um, mind? Yeah, I had, I mean, I had... I sometimes think how different my life would be if I didn't have just one different, if I had just one different coach. I mean, I, I sometimes feel, I mean, I got to be the most blessed person in the world just as far as um, the people that got put in front of me and when they got put in front of me. And I think back all the way to being six years old and getting introduced to soccer at a time when my dad was like embarrassed to come to soccer games and, you know, it just wasn't a big sport. And, and yet we had a guy at the high, at um, the local high school who was just starting a soccer camp and, um, He's a professional soccer player, and he had just started the soccer team at, at, at our high school. And a group of friends all in the neighborhood that all got started together. Fast forward 12 years later, and we're all playing for the first state championship ever in the history of a high school. And to which still remains, um, going downstate with that soccer team, still remains my proudest and probably favorite athletic moment ever, including the Olympic Games. Um, other coaches that I came in touch with high school, you know, in particular from um, a soccer coach when I didn't make the varsity as a sophomore, and I really thought I was going to, but a soccer coach, you know, my sophomore year, who was so X's and O's and checklists, he knew absolutely nothing about soccer. I mean, nothing at all. He was literally just the baseball coach and the, um, I think a football coach too, but he loved having um, such choreographed practice and total ordeals. And you can see his grids on my grids when I give them to the kids on the team. I love having everything exactly laid out. I think it helps the athlete, you know. Um, we change it and we move it, but I think having things down on a piece of paper is probably something I took from him my head coach at that track meet um, was the most soft-spoken person in the world I didn't find out to my junior in high school that he was a silver medalist at the Olympic Games in the um, 110 hurdles his name was Willie May wore the same sweatsuit I think every day I mean he looked like a homeless person <laughs> half the time but um, he was a tremendous influence over me and I think he knew that um, I could be special in the sport he never pressured me to run cross-country my entire time in high school even though even after I'd run nine flat as a junior and I mean I certainly think I would have helped our cross-country team and could have been pretty good at it but he knew that I loved soccer never pressured me just waited for me to come track season and um, you know it was really pretty instrumental and in, you know setting goals for me and and maybe some of that delusional I'm a Chicago Cubs 
Mahomes fan as well, <laughs> kind of mixed in there. I remember him sending me to college and saying, well, the only person I know who's any good in the Big Ten is Bob Kennedy. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was literally, that yeah. was it. I mean, I'd never run cross country in my life, not one race in my entire life. And he goes, so, you know, you might get second that first year, but after that, you should be able to win pretty easily. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, it was stupid. And I think I was actually at the Big Ten, I, mean, I think I was 50th my first year. Um, <laughs> so many people, I think, in, in my life, when I got to college, Russ Rogers, um, who didn't know anything about distance and probably um, he described cross country to me as running into a bush and running out of a bush. <laughs> said I wasn't going to have to run it when he recruited me, but um, he was also a 400 meter hurdler and he's the one who taught me how to hurdle. And I think to this day, I, I'm still just as good a hurdler as, as any other steeplechaser, certainly, but probably on par with a lot of 400 hurdlers. It's one really good thing. He taught me like a real sprinter, um, the real mechanics of it, not just don't worry about hurdling, just get fit, you know, which is one of my mm-hmm. most painful things to listen to steeplechase coaches say. So um, my contact with Lee Labadee, um, who sure. uh, uh, welcomed me, he uh, left coaching at Ohio State my first year, but um, as soon as I graduated, he welcomed me and uh, he had worked with Mark Krogan, it was just those two in the group, and they welcomed me in immediately. And that those two months I had from having, I graduated in the winter, and I so I had closer to four months before the Olympic trials. Had I not followed Mark around and um, Lee not agreed to coach me, I would have had a really, you know, tough stretch or whatever. And for so, the listeners who don't know, Lee Labadee recently worked with Clayton Murphy. Yep, uh, silver medalist Olympic at the Olympic medalist. Yeah. Who, Lee was also an incredible runner in his own yeah, right. First, yeah. uh, first, uh, he always liked to tell me because he did have the record at my high school too because he went to a neighbor one, but he was the first uh, uh, guy in the Big Ten to break the mile indoors for. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, so many people, I mean, really countless. I can only imagine how many people I got, but any one of those people, I just don't know what trajectory I would have gone off on had I not gone to Ohio State, which at the time didn't have very strong distance, but it did have huge track, but Lee was there. I would have never met Mark Krogan, who was the preemptive. I mean, before Jaeger, he was probably the most consistent, most people in the top 20. He was fourth at the World Championships um, in the steeplechase. Um, you know, really just these connectors, um, it's pretty incredible. And I, and I know looking back, a lot of people have, but I actually knew when I was there that I felt like these things were occurring. You know, I, yeah. I, I just could not believe how many different people I got to be around and in. And I just had, I can't remember a bad coach I've ever had, and including my YMCA. Champ Barnes, I mean, he's this 260-pound, you, know, you know, basketball and football guy, and I remember him kind of pointing out to me that, you know, the thing that I hate about floor hockey is people don't know how good they are. How do you not know how good you are in floor hockey? And I just, I think about that now in my coaching, like, what's so hard about knowing where you're at, you know? I mean, I think it's a very special thing that I've actually already tried to pass along my son. You, you walk into a group and you're doing something this is the best person, this is the worst person, this is where I am. I think that's a really, like, mm. knowing where you're a at. A sense of where school, you are. I think is a, you know, you talk about this generation and air quotes. Um, that's the only difference I see. It just seems like people can't sense where they are. And mm. that's very weird, particularly in a sport like track, which is, at, at some point, it's very cut and dry. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's why you have rankings and it's a time. There's no subjectivity. It's one of the best and worst things, I guess, about the sport. So. All right, last thing to wrap up then. I love that you mentioned that experience with a high school soccer team as as a highlight, right? Those guys that you had known growing up your whole life, you put that right up there on par with, with the Olympics. But to look at the Olympics, could you give us a, a best memory or best moment of those experiences that you you so easily and so vividly remembered that trip, as you said, downstate, right? Because yeah. that's how it is in, in Illinois uh, for soccer. What's that moment from your Olympic experience that I, I'm sure the whole thing is in itself so unique and beautiful, but if anything sticks out. I mean, several things. I mean, I remember playing... Um, 
had some great pictures with the dream team when they came in. I mean, opening ceremonies is absolutely unreal, particularly when it was in the U.S., just because, you know, the whole stadium's kind of waiting for the U.S. team to walk in at the end. It's my first one, and it didn't really sink in that I was an, an Olympian, you know, but, um, you know, the opening ceremonies are always good ones. I got to room with Michael Johnson. I think I was one of the first people to see the gold Nike shoes. Um, I did it totally by accident. I, he was supposed to have a room by himself, but uh, they put him in, he got in real late one night. So it was just one night, but it was pretty, pretty incredible because you knew he was going to be the star. Laser tag with, um, you know, the... I think his name was Sabonis from uh, Lithuania. Arvidas Sabonis. Once you're you're done at the Olympics, you can tell who's done and who's still competing uh, (laughs) pretty easily at the Olympics. And once I was done, it really, I really tried to stay out of my sweet mates, you know, hair and stuff. So I enjoyed just everything that they had to offer there or whatever. But the two real, the two best moments really are maybe almost more from the Olympic trials from each in both 96 and in 04 and 96 you know nothing to lose this is probably going to be the end of things um, you know but this opportunity to kind of go for it and having you know and right when I crossed the finish line just with all my friends there family my father passed away that fall and I don't have a great story like I'm gonna do it for you dad or anything like that but it was a uh, uh, I could try to think about what he would be like if you know obviously he was there but um, there's just so many people that were there and I was such a surprise win that it was just so exciting um, you know with nothing to lose and then I really loved my memory from 04 and that I stood on the starting line and they were kind of you know, five people for three spots. And I, I, I think at that point, I was certainly one of them, but I was a little bit older too. I was 31, 32, because I had coached, I stayed in the sport probably a little bit longer than most people, you know, um, who kind of get on with life. I was getting on with life. I was doing exactly what I I hope I do for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, coming through, knowing that this is my last chance, I was very proud of that moment too. So uh, I was most proud and I enjoyed that soccer moment, but those other two are close seconds just as far as coming through. I, I, I am really proud of, proud of that and proud of everybody who I worked with, you know, to do those things. I really evolved as an athlete. You know, I was I was literally 55 miles a week and just speed, speed, speed. That first 96 and 04, I was a completely different athlete. You know, 75 miles a week, which for me is a lot, you know, 80 miles a week and just strength, strength, strength. And I had to get away from these young bucks. I mean, it was really a totally different... Um, you know, thing and trying to have some of those experiences. Probably not much different than coaching. Coached at one of the biggest schools in the you know in, in the in the country, and now I'm at one of the smallest ones. The skill sets are almost exactly opposite, but the common themes are also. It, it really is people. Um, it's kind of having vision. It's working hard. It's trying to work with people. So there's a lot of similar things too. It's not that much different, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so in that regard, it's kind of coming full circle. We, when I first took the job at Furman, actually, one of the things, as cheesy as it is, and you see it in a lot of our branding and stuff that we do in the new building, and uh, I just saw a band that said, start small, think big. And I thought that was really, that's what every athlete, I think, always does. You're always trying to get to the next level. No one comes out being a being an Olympian or a, or a star or whatever. And those different segments that we talked about earlier in the podcast, just as far as, you know, having to go from grade school to high school to college to pros to making a team to getting a medal I mean those are all segments you're trying to continually jump up or whatever and it's always thinking big but there's no problem starting small you know you just mm-hmm. you know it's a good bit good bit of impatience I think being a Chicago Cubs fan may have helped more than anything <laughs> yeah. um, especially now that we've won now I can finally finish <laughs> off the story a little bit um, but you worry about things so you do a good job with them I think you um, but every year you're excited as all get out to get started and it doesn't matter what happened the year before so those are good kind of different things great coach gary thank you so much for your time it's wonderful to have you in and best of luck this season all right my pleasure thank you that is all for mile 10 of the seconds flat running podcast brought to you by run in 
As always, please contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or show topics you'd like, you would like to hear. We've had some feedback recently, folks looking for some marathon training input. So starting next episode, we're going to start a multi-piece fall marathon training series. Going to break into it with the first one and talk about tempo running as part of your marathon training. Also, the Seconds Flat gear is rolling in. You can see that in person at Run In. Contact us via the email. Get yourself a singlet. Shirts are going to be coming next. You can get the full attire. We'll probably do some sort of dress clothes next. I would say some sort of three-piece suit is imminent. One could only hope. One could only hope. So, Travis, along with this training group. What training group? I don't know what you speak of. Sorry. Sorry with this uh, training series we're about to do. Let's say I've been listening to the podcast. Love what you've had to say on certain things. Hypothetical. I don't think you actually listen. I just want to work with. <laughs> I just want to work with someone and get better in my own running. Is there a way I can contact you and talk to you about my training? In this hypothetical, you could indeed contact me. Feel free to email in also and ask about coaching programs. We have Seconds Flat Coaching as well. We're happy to help with individualized training for your goals. So thank you, Ben. Maybe I'll get you into shape here soon. I hope so. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time in our Seconds Flat Marathon training series. And thanks again to Coach Gary for a great interview. See you guys. Bye.